a lot I want to weave in this morning. In the lesson that we heard from Samuel, we drop in on the story of Hannah. Hannah is one of many of the characters, many of the women characters in the Hebrew scriptures who really wanted to have a child. And she didn't for a long time. Um, We know that the Hebrew, the ancient understanding of that is very different from how we understand it today. It is frequently used as a story to talk about when there is, um, when there's lack, when there is deep desire for something, and then God hears and provides. What we didn't hear, we, we drop in on part of the story, but what we didn't hear is the day that Hannah shows up to the temple and is standing outside fervently praying, and her Her mouth is moving, but she's not making the sound of the words that she's praying. And the priest looks at her and says, you're drunk, go home. And she's like, no, I'm not. I am worthy of being here. I am worthy of having my prayers heard. I have deep desires, and I want God to listen. Hannah is prophesying in a way. Not that she's telling the future, but that she's speaking hope into a future that could be. In the psalm, I'm not sure if any of you caught it, but the very first line of the psalm that we heard chanted this morning, God's love is compared to a maternal love. And in Hebrew, the word that we translate as maternal love, it's the same root as the word for womb. It's like... All the different ways, all the different words we have for coming close to painting a picture of who God is and the way God works. You know, in English we hear God all the time. But in the Hebrew scriptures, Hannah refers to God as the one who hears. In the psalm, God's love is described the same word that means womb, that place that place where life is cultivated. And then we drop in on the story of the feeding of 4,000. Now this story is is well known, right? Um, But the more well-known story is the feeding of the 5,000. The feeding of the 5,000, it's one of the only stories that appears in all four of the canonical gospels. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John I'll talk about the story where 5,000, and really it's 5,000 plus the women and children that were there, so where where 5,000 were fed. And in two of the Gospels, Matthew that we heard today and in Mark, there's another story of a feeding of 4,000 people. So interesting, the similarities and the differences to unpack a little bit. In the story we didn't hear today, in the story of the 5,000, Jesus has withdrawn. Jesus is then surrounded. People are coming from all over the place. And same sort of thing. They're seeking healing. They're, they want to sit at his feet and hear what he has to teach. And it's the end of the day, and the disciples say to Jesus, we better send everyone home because there's no way we're going to be able to feed everybody. And Jesus is like, well, let me show you a thing or two. And lo and behold, everybody is fed with a few loaves and the few fish. And at the end of the story, it says they gathered the leftovers in 12 baskets. 
12 is a significant number in the Hebrew scriptures um, and in the Christian scriptures as well. 12 would remind us that there are 12 tribes in Israel, that Jacob, one of the ancestors, had 12 sons, and from the 12 sons descended the 12 tribes. So the fullness of the household of Israel is, is held in this number 12. In this story that we heard this morning, the few, there's seven loaves and a few fish. And in this story, they've been there for a few days, three days. They've been gathered around Jesus. Jesus has been healing and teaching and speaking to the crowd for three days. So there's this sense of like anything they brought to tide them over, they've already gone through. And the disciples this time, instead of saying, we better send them home, they say, how are we going to do this? It's like they've learned a little bit. They get that Jesus is going to surprise them in some way. But they're looking out at all the people, and they're like, Jesus, we are in the desert. How are we going to do this? And that's when Jesus is like, well, what do we have? Seven loaves, a few fish? Okay, here's what we're going to do. The actions Jesus takes in this story, he takes the bread, he blesses it, he gives thanks for it, he breaks it, and he offers it. And those four actions are the same actions that we celebrate at the altar each week we gather. The same actions that Jesus enacted with his disciples at his last supper. Bread is taken, blessed, broken, and given. In this story, the feeding of the 4,000 plus the women and the children... Afterwards, the abundance is contained in seven baskets. Seven's also a significant number. But we know from some stories that in the early times, they considered seven to represent the fullness of, like, the Gentile world. So we have these two stories where thousands of people are fed. And one is like, Jesus has come for this miracle for all the people of Israel. And then in this other story, it's like, and all of the people beyond Israel, all the Gentiles. And so in, in the second story that we heard today, there is a line toward the beginning about the people praising the God of Israel, which, which makes you um, realize that they probably weren't um, people of Israel in a way. So like Jesus has expanded. And the other thing I find interesting is the, where these two stories fall in Matthew. The feeding of the 5,000 falls in chapter 14. And it's like a chapter later that the feeding of the 4,000 happens. And in between, Jesus travels, Jesus has some conversations with Pharisees, Jesus does some healing. And then Jesus has this encounter with a woman who is not from the, the, the um, family of Israel. She's not from the household of Israel, I should say. And the story is pretty well known. You're probably familiar with it. It goes something like this. This woman, her daughter is unwell, and she goes to Jesus, and she says, Jesus, I want you to heal my daughter. And his answer is, I came for the lost children of Israel. As my, as my eight-year-old would say, he'd be like, burn. So he's like, no, I didn't come for you. I, I came for this other thing. And then she has this very um, intense phrase. She says, Jesus, 
Even the dogs get the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And then in that moment, he's like, I will heal your daughter. Scholars throughout ages have different ways of understanding this story. You know, many people feel like, like Jesus is, um, you know, the, the, the epitome of who it, how, how to be human, and like Jesus knows all. And so some say, well, Jesus had this back and forth for everybody else's benefit, so everybody would learn from him, perhaps. Others say, she changed his mind. She advocated, she showed up and she advocated for herself and for her daughter, and she changed his mind. She expanded his understanding. The more I sit with the scripture, the more I lean into that side of understanding things. So we heard the story of Hannah advocating for herself and the child she so dearly wanted. We have this vision of God's maternal, womb-like love. And then we have this third woman who engages with Jesus and helps to expand his understanding of who he is and how he came to be in the world. And I think there's something profound in looking at Jesus and in understanding Jesus as someone who was changed and affected and transformed by the very human ways he interacted with the other humans he was interacting with. And that Jesus, the Son of God, is the sort of person that listened, just like the God who hears of Hannah's story. Jesus listened, Jesus heard, and Jesus expanded his understanding. And then a little bit later, he's offering, he's providing more than is needed for this crowd of people beyond the kingdom of Israel, for this crowd of people. And this crowd of people then proceeds to include all of us through the ages and ages that have been. This morning, in a few moments, we are going to baptize another little one into the household of God. That's what the prayer says, is we receive you into the household of God. This is another one of those core actions of Jesus. And Jesus himself was baptized at the beginning of his ministry. So it's another moment where he, like, humbled himself in a way to this experience where, like, Jesus was cleansed and Jesus was initiated into his Ministry into his calling, his vocation, through the waters of baptism, and then on down the years, for thousands of years, it's the same initiation, it's the same ritual, it's a sacrament that we continue to initiate and receive and welcome people into the household of God. Just like the actions of the feeding story where the bread was taken, blessed, broken, and given, and we repeat that week in and week out here, in a moment when we turn our attention to the water and the font in the back, we are all invited to step into that experience, to participate through the little one who is going to be experiencing it herself today, we all get to step into and remember our baptisms. 
Maybe they were so long ago or at such a young age we don't remember them in the same way and yet we are connected, we are remembered, we are re-brought together in this practice, in this sacrament. We are connected to Jesus and his baptism and we are connected to the countless people throughout time who have experienced this as well. In baptism, we are baptized with water. Water that makes up a good portion of our bodies, water that covers the earth, water that is very necessary to life, water that, that contains the child in the womb. And we are sealed with oil that has been blessed. And when I make the sign of the cross on Josie's forehead, I will say the words, you are sealed by the Holy Spirit in baptism and marked as Christ's own forever. This sealing, this symbol upon, our, upon her forehead in the moment, but then that has been placed upon many of our foreheads as well, is another point of connection. And while the oil may fade or get wiped away, seal that mark is always with us we are marked as christ's own we are fed we are marked and we are sent out to go be about the healing loving work of jesus in the world